What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Dylan LeClaire is the senior market analyst at UTXO Management. He also writes a newsletter with Bitcoin Magazine. In this conversation, we talk about Bitcoin, on-chain metrics. We talk about Bitcoin's price, the market structure, and what to expect in the coming weeks. I really enjoyed this conversation with Dylan, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Matrixport. Have you lost your way in this low-yield environment while searching for a better store of value to beat inflation? Look no further. Invest with Matrixport to get more from your crypto, with the potential for high annualized yields on certain products. Matrixport is Asia's fastest-growing digital asset platform founded by crypto veterans Jihan Wu and Zhang Ji. With $10 billion in assets under management and custody, Matrixport offers one-stop crypto financial solutions, including fixed income, DeFi in one click, structured products, cactus custody, spot OTC, and lending. You can earn a high double-digit yield with the dual currency product or opt for the lucrative potential of their new product, Range Sniper. If you hold crypto and are actively looking to do more with your precious assets, then this app is one you don't want to miss. Download the Matrixport app and enjoy a welcome offer of very high APY on fixed income for new users. Again, go either download the Matrixport app or go to matrixport.com today. Next up is Gemini. Gemini is a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange, wallet, and custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy, sell, store, and earn Bitcoin, Ether, and over 40 other cryptocurrencies. They offer industry-leading security, insurance, and uptime. Gemini is the go-to trusted platform for beginner and sophisticated investors alike. Open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. Open a free account today, under three minutes, at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. All right, let's get in this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Dylan, what's up, man? Hey guys, how's it going? Doing fantastic. How are you? Living the dream like always, you know. <laughs> that's uh, that's all we want. All right. We got a whole bunch of stuff that we got to go over. Let's start with, uh, first, just a general sentiment check. How are you feeling about the Bitcoin market, where we are coming into the end of the year? Has anything changed? Nothing's changed. Um, I mean, I think the timeline is a, a little bit delayed, like compared to what a lot of people thought in the fall uh, at the beginning of Q4. Um you know, a lot of people were kind of expecting to see to see higher prices than than today, and for you know all time highs to be, <clears throat> excuse me, for all time highs to continue to be to be made here. But in terms of the thesis, in terms of what Bitcoin is, and and you know where we're going with this whole thing, nothing has changed. And I think you know that's what we're going to dig into a little bit today. All right. So when we start looking at some of the charts that we have here, the first that we're going to pull up is this Bitcoin store value medium of exchange or unit of account. And you just have uh, what looks like the price pulled up in terms of uh, uh, over the years. What, what exactly are you showing here? Yeah. So this is more of just like a kind of a title slide. I saw some, saw some of the Jack discourse last night. Um, and the next slide, it kind of 
it was a question that says, do you think the, that Bitcoin will replace the U.S. dollar? Um, and, you know, there's definitely a lot of debate. Bitcoin is digital gold or Bitcoin is going to displace a dollar or Bitcoin uh, to some people is a Ponzi scheme. Um, but really, I think, uh, you know, we're going to use some, some metrics today and look at some charts and kind of break down what, what I believe. And I think what a lot of people um, that are Bitcoin proponents believe is that uh, Bitcoin is actively becoming or is already all three. Um, and then the data kind of shows that. All right. So if we start with uh, the first chart, we've got the issuance rate and the circulating supply and market cap all overlaid on each other. What exactly is this showing? Yeah. So this is kind of supporting the store of value argument, right? So you hear a lot of people um, increasing over the last couple of years. This, this has been an accepted kind of proposition. Bitcoin is digital gold. It's a digital store of value. Um, and while that was controversial for a long time, um, a lot of the skeptics, um, you know, besides a few have come to accept that, you know, Bitcoin is a store of value. And, and you know, in the 21st century, um, especially after the kind of COVID madness and all of the trillions of dollars of stimulus, Bitcoin is a store of value. And so, you know, it's the one thing we know that it has a hard cap is absolutely scarce in the world. Uh, this issuance rate or inflation rate um, is programmatically trending to, towards zero over time. Uh, the, the blue line, that's actually in log scale. So uh, in linear and linear scale, it looks like the issuance rate is already basically at zero. Um, and the market, uh, the market cap is, is really just a testament of people around the world allocating, you know, resources and capital to this asset class because of its monetary assurances. And so the store of value argument um, is stronger than ever, uh, but, you know, I don't think it stops there. And that's when, uh, you know, the discourse gets a little more interesting. Got it. And so really what this is showing is as that issuance rate goes down, or some people could think of that it almost as like an inflation rate, uh, the circulating supply goes up, right? Uh, because we're getting more and more uh, Bitcoin just at a slower pace. Uh, but the market cap has continued to grow at the exact same time as well, which ends up being uh, uh, kind of a what you would expect if you've got a finite supply asset with a disinflationary monetary supply schedule uh, and increasing demand is you're going to continue to get the price to go up, even though there's a little bit of Bitcoin still coming into the market, uh, the demand outpaces that. And that's where you get market cap growth, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's how many dollars are going to exist in 2030 or in 2100, right? No one knows. Uh, no one knows really for any other asset except Bitcoin. Uh, and, and you know this because you can run a full node on you know an old laptop or you can verify the supply on your smartphone. Um, and there's no other technology. Yes, there are other crypto assets that are somewhat transparent, but the thing is that none of the monetary policies of these other assets or you know digital uh, assets are basically as uh, tried and tested as Bitcoin. Uh, no one can change Bitcoin, um, and and every protocol change that has occurred has been um, opt-in voluntary. It's a soft fork. Um, there's there's no hard forks or changes to the monetary policy of Bitcoin. You know, whereas other crypto protocols or assets um, or currencies, if you want to call them that, have have done that plenty of times. So in terms of in terms of absolute scarcity, nothing in the world um, has or can compete with Bitcoin. The next thing we've got is the hash rate, 70x since 2017, which is a bonkers number. Uh, yeah. Explain why you think this is so important. Yeah, so this is kind of um, on the store of value side of things as well. 70x in the last five years, um, just kind of understanding what that means, what hash rate actually means. You can, you know, for, for people that are more kind of visual and don't really understand what Bitcoin mining is, think of the you know gold miners going in with with shovels and excavators and digging into the earth to find this monetary asset well think about if if that had increased 
70 fold over the last five years, just the amount of expenditure and the amount of resources that are going into actually extracting, you know, that, that shiny rock out of the earth. Well, Bitcoin is that, but in the digital form and it's doing it all over the world um, with sometimes nothing other than just a satellite signal and a wasted energy source um, where there is no economic value. um, And it's basically securing and being rewarded. uh, It's securing the most powerful computer network in the world. And it's being, it's they're being rewarded with the only absolutely scarce monetary asset. And so incentives are aligned. That's all Bitcoin is, is just economic incentives. It's completely voluntary. It's opt in um, and hash rate continues to grow at, at a just mind boggling exponential pace. When we think about uh, the entire network hash rate in 2013, that is equivalent to one S19J Pro. Is that true? Yeah. So the S19J Pro, it's top of the line, uh, you know, new ASIC. Um, but that basically spins off 110 terahash a day. I think it costs around $15,000, maybe 20,000. It's, it, it's extremely hard to get miners with all the kind of supply chains backed up and they're backordered from, you know, months or years, but yeah, one ASIC, one, one new top of line ASIC is equivalent to the entire network hash rate in 2013. Um, and so it just kind of shows you um, Moore's laws in play there with kind of semiconductors becoming more and more efficient. But that just shows you just like the just absolutely insane growth um, and just amount of a physical capital um, and resources, you know, backing this network. Uh, it, it, there is definitely a tangible aspect to it, despite it being, you know, uh, thin air or, you know, <laughs> what, what a lot of people like to call it. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, when we look at the next chart, we've got Bitcoin is on pace to settle 45 trillion in 2021, totaling twice as much value as all of its previous years combined. That is an insane number. Yeah. So this is a chart from Yassine at, at ARC. They put out great stuff. Um, and this is just kind of, this is going into more of the medium of exchange aspect of it, right? So everyone gets store value. You can buy Bitcoin. You can you can leave it on Coinbase or you can send it to your cold storage and you can sit sit there and watch it. And, and it's a pretty strong bet over time that it'll increase your purchasing power um, just due to the absolute scarcity of it and due to the adoption curve and more and more people coming to this asset class because of those properties, right? Um, but most people um, or, you know, less than the amount of people that understand the store value side don't really, you know, the, the medium of exchange or maybe the settlement aspect of Bitcoin is very underappreciated. So this network in a completely apolitical sovereign way where there's, there's no CEO, there's no board, there's no, uh, there's really, there's no off switch, right? <laughs> China just picked up and, you know, 50% of the network was forced to, to shut off overnight uh, and Bitcoin kept on chugging, right? So, you know, $45 trillion are on pace for that in, in 2021. Um, it's a pretty insane number. And so, and so uh, you know, you're, you're doubling or I'm sorry. Yeah. Doubling visa, I believe. Uh, and, and that's, you know, pretty different when you're looking at settlement assurances, but say the best comparison is Fedwire. Well, that's, you know, we're already 6% of the way there com- compared to Fedwire. And so I wouldn't bet on this trend uh, stopping anytime soon. Uh, and, you know, that kind of supports the more medium of exchange aspect to it. There's, you know, final settlement all over the world, 24, seven, 365. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Uh, Bitcoin, the cumulative network transfer volume, 22.2, uh, 22.6 trillion as of 1221, uh, so- which is uh, today. Yeah. So that's the first chart showed just total volume. And this one, um, I should have labeled it a little better, shows change adjusted transfer volume. So the Bitcoin UTXO set, when say you have one Bitcoin and you send 0.5, well, I send 0.5 to you, Pomp, and 0.5 Bitcoin goes back to me. And that's a that's a change 
that's uh, you like change for the UTXO. And so technically change adjusted volume just filters out that 0.5 Bitcoin I sent back to, to myself. Um, just that's how Bitcoin transactions work. Um, and so over the course of its history, um, Bitcoin is, has done $22.6 trillion of change adjusted volume. Um, and that's, you know, obviously hockey sticking up and to the right. And so uh, it just kind of shows you that, you know, this protocol is continuing to grow. And in terms of medium of exchange, it's a lot bigger and does a lot more volume than people think. Which means that Bitcoin in 2021 has done over 10 trillion, right? So, you know, about 10 to 12 trillion of this, about half of it was done this year in 2021 compared to what it's done since its beginning of its life. Yep, correct. It's pretty insane. Yeah, absolutely nuts. And and uh, I don't know the exact visa uh, settlement number, but I do believe that uh, visa's annual transaction volume is now right around what Bitcoin's is. Like they're they're much closer than you would think, right? I think that Visa, if I remember correctly, is somewhere in the like 14 to 16 uh, trillion number. And obviously Bitcoin being at, let's call it 12 or so, uh, hasn't quite eclipsed it yet, but uh, but we're getting pretty damn close. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, it should be, should be said that, you know, comparing Visa to Bitcoin, it's definitely um, a cool kind of comparison and, and a milestone, but just in terms of settlement assurances and final, you know, just... Yeah, settlement finality. Um, it's it's a lot different, right? Swiping my card at Visa, basically they have an internal ledger and they just they just debit someone and and basically just change the ledger a little bit, but it can be changed uh, pretty easily. There's there's no final settlement for sometimes you know weeks or months on end. Um, and at the end of at the end of whatever period that is, the bank and and Visa will you know transfer over you know billions of dollars and kind of that's the final settlement but when people are comparing you say a 10 minute bitcoin transaction or bitcoin blocks to visa it's definitely the wrong comparison and i think that next this next chart that we'll show uh, is more apples to apples all right now we've got the lightning network public channel capacity yeah so this is in in usd uh and it's in logarithmic scale so uh the growth is a lot more impressive if you're looking at it in linear terms but this is public channel lightning network capacity so back in 2017 back when there was the scaling wars um bitcoin can't scale was the narrative um the, the solutions were bitcoin cash or other altcoins um the payments narrative despite not being dominant today was was pretty big back then uh, and there was a lot of questions about how could bitcoin ever be this you know, as some proponents would say, world reserve currency, if if it could only do, you know, seven transactions per second, which is completely the wrong way to look at it. Um, so here comes the Lightning Network. Um, and with the SegWit soft fork in 2017, um, there was some upgrades that could allow for light, the Lightning Network to be built, which was just a concept conceived in 2016. Um, so since then, um, you basically have um, this Lightning Network, which is just uh, an, an application layer or a software layer above the Bitcoin network, um, and it's completely it's completely open source. Um, it's completely opt in, and and basically it allows for Bitcoin payments to occur um, somewhat instantaneously and for basically no cost or little to no cost. And so we've seen that that growth is is exponential, and you're seeing a lot of companies like Strike and OpenNode and and companies all over the world just basically opt in to this. Um, open for basic, not free, but, uh, you know, voluntary settlement layer uh, on top of Bitcoin. And so this allows for micropayments. This allows, I can send you one Satoshi pump. And so that's something that was never possible with with Bitcoin on the base layer. Um, and it's just, this is basically how Bitcoin will scale to billions and billions of people. And, it, and it's, it's not uh, appreciated nearly enough. Completely agree. 
Bitcoin price drawdown from all time high. When you see this all of a sudden, maybe uh, maybe we shouldn't be complaining so much because uh, there are some epic, epic drawdowns over the years. But uh, what, what is this showing? Yeah. So we, we covered stored value. We covered medium of exchange. What's the last one? Unit of account. Um, so how could Bitcoin ever be a unit of account if it's if it's this volatile? Um, so obviously we're looking at a logarithmic scale of Bitcoin in the background there. And the red is showing the drawdowns from all time high. Um, so really kind of what this is pointing at is, you know, the volatility is the price you pay for returns. And when, when something is growing in exponential fashion, um, you will see uh, very standard double digit, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% drawdowns along the way. Um, and that's just basically more opportunity to accumulate uh, and to, you know, just to get your hands on this pristine, absolutely scarce asset. So currently, you know, 31% down from all time highs uh, for anyone that's been in Bitcoin for more than, couple months even it's it's really nothing uh and it's it's an opportunity to just continue to stack so you know just some context and and the next few charts here will break down why bitcoin as a unit of account is uh quite superior all right now we've got s p 500 uh as just the first chart uh let's just do the uh, the actual price chart itself so stocks only go up right or at least that's what facts uh <laughs> that's what uh has you know we've been taught over the last 24 months or so, but why is that? Um, and a lot of people think they're getting rich, you know, especially asset holders, um, you know, that everything's going up and to the right, but in reality, uh, it's more of a farce and, or maybe a facade. And actually it's just the money is debasing. So what happens if we standardize S and P 500 and we put it in uh, M2 money supply terms? Uh, it looks a lot different. And so, what we're looking at since 2020, uh, if you just if you just standardize uh, this chart in terms of M2 money stock, the S&P 500 is basically flat. Um, and so a lot of people that think they've gotten pretty rich over the last 18, 24 months, uh, in reality, it's just a function of monetary expansion. Um, and so this kind of um, leads you to believe that the dollar um, over the short term, while I guess the Fed or other you know kind of public officials would call it stable, um, it's actually a melting ice cube, as some would like to say. Uh, and, and if you're valuing anything, uh, whether it's assets, goods, services, you know, home prices, anything uh, in big and in, in dollar terms, uh, you're going to you're going to it's going to kind of skew you to believe that things are getting more expensive when in reality, uh, many things are getting less expensive. It's just the currency, the unit uh, is devaluing. Um, and so here we have uh, a solution, which is Bitcoin. Got it. And so when you divide it by this M2, it doesn't look so hot. And my guess is that if you actually went ahead and you denominated this in Bitcoin, obviously it would be down significantly, uh, which I think is uh, your, oh yeah, it is your next one. Of course, you're two steps ahead of me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, like little breadcrumbs, right? Like you're just, uh, this is like a, a little game. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, volatility obviously is there. Uh, you see in March of 2020, that, that big green candle, but over the long term, um, Bitcoin is uh, the best unit of account you can use. Um, nothing else is absolutely scarce like we've kind of covered. And so uh, just denominating something as simple as S&P or even individual stocks uh, in Bitcoin terms um, will lead you to be one of the best uh, or most ahead of the game capital allocators out there. Uh, and I think this is kind of the strategy for savvy investors over the next decade. And it has been in the last decade, but increasingly, I think it'll be, become the standard as denominating your returns against Bitcoin. All right. And then lastly, you've got micro strategy, both against dollars and Bitcoin. How are we looking? 
Yeah. So um, talking about going on a Bitcoin standard, valuing your your company, valuing you know your assets in Bitcoin terms. Here's MicroStrategy. Since uh, they've adopted a Bitcoin standard up 282 um, percent. Obviously, some pretty spectacular growth uh, for for a company that was was kind of treading water for the last decade. And now, if we denominate it in Bitcoin terms, um, they're doing fantastic, and they have 110,000 Bitcoin. Um, but their unit, their their share price in Satoshi's. Their share price, uh, you know, in Bitcoin terms, has basically surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, been flat. Right. So, so they have actually kept pace with the Bitcoin standard, um, and so few companies can say the same. Um, and I think this will become kind of the way that you know uh, savvy investors and increasingly everybody will have to value things uh, in the 21st century. Uh, Bitcoin is the most superior unit of account. Uh, and if you're valuing things with Bitcoin, yes, there's there's short term volatility, but over the long term, uh, you're definitely ahead of the game, and you'll you'll get a step on on people who are not. How do you think about uh, Bitcoin when it starts to become less volatile? So obviously, everything is kind of crashing against Bitcoin because Bitcoin's price is going up at a pretty insane uh, rate compared to U.S. dollars. If Bitcoin is to eventually reach price stability in U.S. dollar terms, which may or may not happen. But if that was to occur, how do you think about it then being denominated all these other assets? Yeah. So I think if you look at a lot of things, there's a pretty fantastic chart out there that I, that I don't have on me at the moment, but it's over the last 20 years, the price of everything um, from like technology to education, to healthcare, to consumer goods, and, and you know, the university education, and basically everything that technology has touched is is way down. It, the price of the the price of a TV or a semiconductor or just an iPhone. Think about how much an iPhone gives you over the last ten years. Well, maybe the price has gone up, but the value is is gone way way up. So actually, technology um, it's it's deflationary in the sense that you get more for less. Um, and so when you when you don't have that expanding you know uh, monetary unit, the dollar expanding money supply that's chasing everything that's becoming more expensive over the last decade or two, um, it's because more dollars are chasing that. University education, subsidized. Healthcare, subsidized. All of these things that are becoming way, way more expensive, it's because uh, essentially the government or you know just the economy in general is chasing an increasing amount of, throwing an increasing amount of dollars at it. And so that's why you see these things becoming exponentially more expensive over time. Um, I, I believe on a Bitcoin standard, uh, on an absolutely scarce monetary standard, global monetary standard, uh, things will gradually uh, decrease in, in price over time as the, as the money accrues value. Basically, as the world becomes more productive, uh, your money accrues value uh, in everything else. And so I think that's what, you know, what the future holds. And it won't, you won't see these exponential gains that we see uh, over the last decade. And I think over the coming decade, but uh, you know, I think you could expect with human productivity, your purchasing power would increase one to two to maybe 5% a year, depending uh, on a Bitcoin standard. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty exciting. When you start to think about um, how well people understand this, like what's your take on the Jack Dorsey web three tweets versus uh uh, kind of the Web three pro argument, if you will. Like, like what do you think? Yeah, I think um, I, I kind of agree with Jack here in the sense that I, I'm all for the free market and I'm all for you know people going and, and building things and trying things out a hundred percent. But I think a lot of uh, the incentives are skewed, and a lot of these, if you want to call it Web three 
uh, applications or ecosystems, um, whether it's, you know, with, and, and not that, you know, investing is bad in general, right? You know, the argument for a pre-mine is, well, every stock or company is, is pre-mined um, and that's fair. But, uh, you know, if we're talking about a company or a security versus an open protocol, I think it's a lot, of, uh, you know, a little bit different or actually a lot different. And so, you know, Bitcoin, crypto kind of gets all lumped into one. Uh, and I think it's it's quite different. Uh, we covered it a little bit last week, the differences between, say, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, and I'm fine. I'm all for the free market. I don't want regulators to come in and clamp down on, on these builders or engineers um, at all. But I think just in terms of, uh, say, an open Internet um, and uh, you know, so-called decentralization, um, a lot of it's more decentralization theater. Um, and that's fine. I think just there's quite a difference between, say, Bitcoin uh, versus what a lot of these other tokens, protocols, um, Web3 applications are, are doing. And that's fine. Right. Um, but just, you know, saying everything is going to be on a blockchain or creator economy and everyone's going to have their own personal token. Um, I mean, it's, it's ambitious. And so we'll see what happens. But, you know, I think uh, the biggest kind of idea in the room uh, is, you know, what Jack thinks. And that's sound money for the world. Uh, I think that's that's the big idea here. John, what questions you got? Yeah, Dylan, thanks for joining us. Um, so how have you thought about the hash rate? Is this kind of, it's up what 70% since 2017. What do you think it looks like moving forward? Yeah. Um, 70 X since, since 2017. And I think, and I think it continues to just kind of bend up into the right. Um, it's, it's hard to see that, that sort of exponential growth, um, as, as we kind of get closer and closer to, um, not the end of Moore's law, but um, as Moore's law kind of slows down a little bit, um, I'm not I'm not calling an end to uh, the the efficiency of semiconductors and computing power, but um, you you've started to see somewhat of a commodi- commodification of the of ASICs uh, of Bitcoin miners. Um, an S nine has been around for you know I think four or five years, and it's still spitting off a lot of a lot of free cash flow, a lot of profit. Um, and so you know I think that the new miners today you'll be able to plug in for for quite a long time and for them to to be quite profitable. Um, you know, whereas say the mining rigs or, you know, the USB sticks that you could plug into your laptop from 2012 aren't going to be profitable anymore. You can't mine Bitcoin with GPUs and be profitable. Um, but I think a lot of these ASICs will be around for a long time, uh, despite the fact that Bitcoin hash rate, I would, I would think is going to probably 10 uh, or a hundred X over the coming decade, um, just with the, you know, the pure amount of incentives that that will exist for, for people to, you know, plug these machines in. I think every energy producer is going to get involved um, and, and in a big way, but uh, we're just starting to see that play out. How do you think about the consumer, like the retail consumer getting involved in mining versus yeah, it's pretty ex- guys? It's, it's pretty exciting. I think, um, we're going to see. I I believe we're going to see, especially in cold um, cold regions or climates, um, you know, the rise of the home miner. Um, you know, some very very savvy kind of engineers or or bitcoiners, if you want to say, have been doing this already. Um, but the reality is, you know, these these miners kick off a lot of, of excess heat, um, and so doing it uh, somewhere that's pretty cold is actually, you know, you can kind of get a two for one where you're you're mining Bitcoin uh, and, and you're producing a lot of excess uh, energy and heat and th- that byproduct can actually, you know, heat your home. So it's like almost two birds with one stone. And so um, it's something that actually I'm, I am exploring currently, uh, but I think we'll see that a lot and it'll kind of just become, I think Square's working on that, right? They're working on building that out and in, in their, uh, in their app, as well as um, working on an ASIC. So um, that would be pretty exciting. And I think uh, we're a little bit away from kind of that, that becoming the standard, but I would, it would be awesome to see uh, in the, you know, coming five years or so. 
I agree. What I, what I also think would be really interesting, I don't think I've seen one yet that seems viable and, and commercial, is when you start to get uh, anything that plugs into uh, some sort of electricity and it mines Bitcoin in its off hours. So like I'll use a super egregious, almost absurd example, <laughs> but like you could see it happening, is somebody builds like a microwave when it's plugged in, uh, it's pulling a little bit of power, right? Because it's obviously able to display the time and, and that type of stuff. But is there a world where the microwave pays for itself by being able to mine Bitcoin, even though it's got very little computing power, right? So like that's the egregious example. Like, okay, now walk it back into, well, what happens if all of a sudden you're able to take other things like the Tesla Powerwall? Maybe a good example, right? If they were essentially able to say, hey, look, we're going to use renewable power that's stored in this battery and we're going to take that and then build kind of a mining component to it. And you can actually, hey, when you're not consuming the power, if you don't, uh, if you're running out or, or uh, of uh, capacity or something, just go ahead and almost like quote unquote burn it but you're burning it by using it to drive some sort of monetary value and help secure the decentralized Bitcoin network. It's pretty interesting. I think Bitcoin mining kind of will, will, you know, almost like flatten out these, um, these disparities in energy prices across the world, right? You're seeing, um, you know, you're seeing a huge energy crisis in Europe, right? So uh, Bitcoin miners in Europe currently, um, they're, they're probably not going to be um, on full tilt, right? They're going to, they're going to instead sell their, their energy to the grid, right? You're seeing a lot of like, you know, grid miners that um, like in, in Texas per se um, that are, that are establishing this baseload uh, energy demand. And then when demand spikes, they turn off. And so you can see that kind of at a micro level, right. Where say maybe not a, a microwave, but say uh, a water heater. Right. So um, a lot of these things are, you know, continuing to be, be built out and there's engineers all over the world kind of working on this stuff. Um, Bitcoin mining uh, with immersion cooling, right. It's kind of like, these, these ideas that are coming out of nowhere. Um, and they're, you know, they're really fascinating. And I, I, I mean, we're just scratching the surface in terms of what can be done uh, with kind of this, this newfound um, demand or ability to take energy from anywhere uh, and, and turn it into sound money. And so I think the applications and the, the, you know, the engineering, uh, you know, feats that will be built on top of this and around this network uh, is something that I, I can't fathom. And I'll, I'll let other people figure that out. Last question I have for you is going into uh, Christmas. You got any advice for folks in terms of how they can help orange pill their family? That's a good question. Um, yeah. I mean, I would just say uh, everyone, it, you know, it takes time and everyone will kind of come to Bitcoin when they're ready, but just planting the seed about uh, what sound money and a low time preference does uh, is, is important. Um, kind of just, you know, distincting Bitcoin from a lot of, you know, speculative investments and even Bitcoin itself on a, on a shorter time frame is speculative, right? So maybe showing the, the four-year DCA returns, um, which I don't know off the top of my head, but I know they're, they're pretty strong um, and just kind of preaching a, a low time preference, maybe saying, why is everything getting more expensive in the world? Uh, whether it's housing or food or energy or anything else, right? Uh, and, and kind of establishing that, it's not a result of greedy corporations, as maybe an Elizabeth Warren would say, but it's more so about an expanding money supply uh, and just kind of planting the seed because uh, ultimately everybody will will need Bitcoin. Everybody will own Bitcoin. Uh, and that may sound controversial today, but I think 10 years from now, it won't be at all. And so just kind of, you know, planting the seed with people that you care about is, is uh, you know, definitely a good gift to give, at least uh, for their future self. I, uh, I think that's a great way to uh, to end it. Uh, if we do a quick follower check, 98.8, man, we're about across a hundred K this is, I think, well, I think Getting we were close. talking what you were at 50 K a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah, I think the first time I came on, I was I was a, a little bit under that, and so definitely, definitely uh, getting close there. Make making moves, John. Yeah, where you at? I'm at right under sixty, and Dylan, I just congratulations. Dylan man. was when, like, when you when you provide good content, though, people um people go to it. So that's how, that's how success. That. That's how the world works. All right, I'm gonna drop uh drop his Twitter account in here. Uh, if you're not following Dylan, get with the program. Let's go. Got uh, we got things we got to get done. So, Dylan, thank you so much for uh for doing this. Have a uh, a merry Christmas, happy holidays, whatever the appropriate thing to say these days is. Uh, just enjoy the time with your family. Um, and then uh, uh, I guess well, next Tuesday is the next show that we'll do. So Dylan will be back the next time that you guys see us. You'll see Dylan, which will be uh be pretty good. Sweet, happy holidays, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Thank you.